Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Please remain standing as we pray. Lord, we do ask that the words of that song that we just said would be our heart prayer, that you would take your truth and plant it deep in us, that you would shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Amen. You may be seated. Don't judge me. Christians shouldn't judge. You who are without sin, you cast that first stone. Take the log that is out of your own eye before you take the speck out of mine. These are common phrases that many of us have heard. Some of us have even used. I don't know about you, but for me, the act of passing judgment can feel like an active minefield. One false step, and you get your leg blown off. Society tells us that we should accept everyone, no matter what they do or believe, and that's right up until they cancel you. For Christians, we know there is right and wrong, good and evil, sacred and profane, and in that same breath, when we need to make the necessary judgments to live in this fallen world, we feel caught by passages like the one I just read. Passages that state do not judge and, with, and which qualify and add caution to the very act. I wonder if anyone else feels caught in this tension at times. If so, how are we supposed to make sense of this? Jesus addresses this and more in his iconic Sermon on the Plains. At Holy Trinity, we are unpacking this sermon over five weeks. And this morning's text is the midpoint of this sermon. By this time, Jesus has turned the value systems of the world upside down through blessings and woes. Everything that you've thought about the world as it relates to power, fulfillment, happiness, We'll go ahead and turn that on its head. In this kingdom economy, the poor, the hungry, and the afflicted, they flourish, while the rich and the full and the well-spoken of have already received their reward. 
Citizens of this kingdom not only love their friends, but they also love their enemies. Not with a conditional love, not with a half-hearted love, but with a love rooted in the character of God. It's a love that mirrors God's kindness and mercy, and it's not just a feeling. It's a love that leads to action, to turn the other cheek, to bless and to pray for enemies, and, and as we'll see this morning, it's a love that prompts us to live with generous good measure towards our fellow man. This is our first point from our text this morning. Jesus advocates a lifestyle of good measure rather than a lifestyle of judgment. Please read along with me beginning at verse 37, which can be found on page 863 in those red Bibles in front of you. Verse 37, and that can be found on page 863. Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Some of you may not have been able to hear anything that I said after I read, judge not and condemn not. If you are caught actively in that minefield, let me destroy and disarm some misconceptions about passing judgment and condemnation. Jesus is not saying that his followers should never make or pass judgments. That's simply not possible as rational humans. Jesus is not prohibiting the moral and relational judgments necessary to navigate this fallen world. It's okay to see someone abusing drugs and judge that this isn't a wise or healthy decision for them. It's necessary for the sake of the weak and the vulnerable to condemn the actions of human traffickers. Followers of Jesus don't get the luxury of putting our heads in the sand, turning a blind eye to the wickedness of this world, especially if we want to be a beacon of hope in it. That's the first thing Jesus is not saying. Here's a second. Jesus is not giving a playbook on how to avoid your own form of judgment and condemnation. Just because you do not judge or publicly comment on the lifestyle or political decisions of your neighbor does not mean that they will return that courtesy. You can be the kindest, nicest neighbor, and they may very well tear you apart to others. Likewise, Jesus isn't saying that if you overlook someone else's sin, God will overlook yours. Even if a person tries their best never to judge or condemn others, that doesn't mean they get a free pass when Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead. All will be held accountable in the end for their actions. So with these out of the way, let's explore what Jesus is getting at with his words. Jesus is reminding his audience that God alone is the final judge and authority on all matters. It's God's job to evaluate and assess human actions, behaviors, and moral conduct, not yours. It's his responsibility to measure the standing of all people, not yours. So while it's right and necessary to make judgments, that's not our main role. It's God's. And this is actually really great news. One, quite frankly, because you'd be lousy judges. 
I know a lot of you out there, lousy judges. But it's not just that. When we don't have to serve as the judge, it frees us up to focus on other matters. Because you're not the final arbiter, you can live a radical lifestyle of good measure towards all people. In the time of Jesus, Jews would buy grain in the markets. So during this transaction, the purchaser would open a fold of their outer garment and the grain dealer would pour the grain into that pocket in their lap. Typically, a seller would pour enough to fill up that space in that pocket in their lap. The best dealer, the one that you'd want to go to week after week, would be the person who would fill up that fold in your garment and then press the grain down for you. A generous seller would let you shake that grain so that it was packed more tightly, so that he could put even more grain in there. And now... If that seller wanted to go above and beyond, even after all that pressing and shaking, they'd sprinkle even more on top, just so it overflowed for good measure. Jesus uses this grain analogy to teach us how to live. Therefore, go above and beyond in showing mercy rather than judgment. Cram grace into every nook and cranny rather than condemnation. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Offer forgiveness freely. Give of your material and emotional well-being. Don't be stingy with these things. You can heap generosity, good measure onto others because you are not the judge. One day, as judge, God will measure everything rightly. And if on that heavenly day when the scales are balanced, if you've given more, the text says you'll receive more. And if you've given less, you'll receive less. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. There are many people, Christians included, who believe faith in Jesus is just about getting to heaven one day. I wish this wasn't the case for them. These people often miss the incredible right-in-front-of-you-now benefits of God. I'm persuaded that if we start treating others with good measure now, if we start treating others with good measure now, we'll have a fuller, more satisfying life in this world. When you realize that you're not the judge and final arbiter, you don't have to spend time or mental energy trying to get back at people. You don't have to spend time making sure that everything balances out and is fair in this life. Believe me, life is glorious and good when you spend your time instead trying to creatively bless and serve other people rather than judging them. Notice that I haven't said that when you treat others with good measure, you'll be guaranteed worldly prosperity like health, wealth, status, or happiness. That may happen but it may not. I know plenty of mature Christians who've had a tough go of it in certain seasons of their lives. And yet the vast majority of of them, when asked, will quickly say that it's been a good life, a full life, and that it's well with their souls. Jesus advocates a life of good measure. This way of living has many benefits, but it won't be easy. Life will try to trip you up and pull you down from this path. 
This makes our second point this morning even more critical. It's vital that we choose teachers well and wisely. It's vital that we choose our teachers well and wisely. My oldest daughter, Hallie, is obsessed with sugar right now, especially ice cream. She asks for it constantly. Dad, can I have ice cream for breakfast? Dad, can I have ice cream for a snack? Dad, can I have ice cream for dessert? Lately, I've started responding, sorry, Hallie, that's just not happening. Well, it's important for you to know that my daughter also hates taking baths. And so recently, when I've started telling Hallie it's bath time, she begins saying, sorry, Daddy, that's just not happening. (laughs) Humans, no matter the age, mirror the actions of others, especially those that we consider our teachers and our role models. We mirror the actions of others, especially those that we consider our teachers. Jesus knows this, and it's why he adds caution to who we follow. Look with me at his words, beginning at verse 39. And he also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. In this first verse, Jesus is rhetorically asking if an ignorant or inexperienced person can guide someone in that same state. Can the blind lead the blind? The implied answer is no. They will both make foolish decisions that lead them into a pit of destruction. He wants his listeners to think in spiritual terms when he says this. If someone who lacks spiritual understanding attempts to guide or teach others in the matters of faith or morality, both the teacher and the follower may end up in trouble or mistakes. So when Jesus said this line, I wonder if he looked right at the Pharisees and religious leaders. They were perfect examples of this. These religious teachers were supposed to know the ways of God better than most. They were supposed to be the spiritual guides of the nation. And yet these very people spent all their time missing the priorities of God. Rather than forgiving giving, living generously with sinners and tax collectors. They judged and condemned them. And they judged and condemned anyone who would show such people grace and mercy, especially Jesus. You know, I think one of Jesus' biggest issues with these people was the way that they warped the minds of their followers, how they led those that listened to them astray. In Matthew 22, Jesus indicts the religious teachers by saying, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. The Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes knew the laws, the customs, the values of their culture, but they didn't know the scriptures. Jesus said, everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Who is your teacher? Who shapes your thoughts and attitudes and actions? Is it a certain social media influencer? Is it a certain news agency? Is it a young, dashing pastor? (laughs) (laughs) But seriously, you'll be shaped by your teacher, and so you must choose wisely. 
You'll be shaped by your teacher, and so you must choose wisely. And there will never be a better teacher than the words of God found in his holy scriptures. God's word, though written long ago, are still active and true. His words will help you live a life of radical good measure. God's life and his word, God's word leads us into holiness, for it's his words that judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So learn from scripture. Memorize its words, meditate on its precepts, sit under its teaching. Let it evaluate your life and let it judge you. The more fully you know scripture, the clearer you'll be able to see yourself. And when you see yourself rightly, that's when you can correct others in love. This is our final point this morning. In our final verses of our text, Jesus advocates a lifestyle of self-evaluation for the sake of your brothers and sisters. Jesus advocates a lifestyle of self-reflection for the sake of your brothers and sisters. Look with me again, starting at verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. The massive ceiling above us is supported by huge wooden beams. Imagine having one of those massive beams in your eye while trying to get a splinter out of the eye of your neighbor sitting next to you. The picture is comically impossible and it's deeply ironic. And this is exactly the point. You can't adequately judge, evaluate, or critique, or condemn someone before you've taken stock of your own life. It's hypocritical to try and fix others when there is a glaring issue in your life. You need to look at yourself before you look at others. Some of you upon hearing this though will take it to the extreme and therefore believe that you can never offer a corrective word to someone. You may think that you should only be focused on those beams in your eye. But if you read the text closely, Jesus does hope that we see clearly enough to take the speck out of our brother's eye. We just have to work on ourselves first. The best coaches are typically former players. The best people to guide and correct are those who have grappled with those very same issues within themselves. We need wise teachers and mentors who can make discerning judgments and offer corrective words. You know, in this world, there are plenty of people willing to critique and judge out there. There are very few, though, with a resume that marks a humility where they've worked on themselves first. Strive to follow a lifestyle of self-examination for the sake of your brothers and sisters. I do hope that you've caught the fact that I keep referencing brothers and sisters. Notice in our text that Jesus uses the word brothers three times. 
If we are ever to pluck or grab specks out of other people's eyes, it should only be in the eyes and lives of our brothers and sisters. It should be with the people that we love, that we care for, that we're committed to, not in the lives of random strangers on internet forums or in public meetings. You know, we live in a culture that tries to hide mistakes and flaws. There are whole teams within companies and political organizations dedicated to the art of the spin, spinning the story to avoid ownership and fault. And at that very same time, the world is very quick to destroy you for any little mistake that you make. But we, as followers of Jesus, we've got nothing to fear. There's no need to hide. There's no need to shrink back when we see something in ourselves or others because we see the world clearly. We know everyone has issues. Everyone has flaws. Everyone has sins. For all have fallen short of the glory of God. Consequently, everyone who stands before God the judge has the same sentence. Death. Condemnation. But a Christian can tell a better story. We know that judgment and condemnation isn't the final word. This judge came out of the bench and he himself stepped onto the stand. That judge took our verdict upon himself. God in Jesus Christ had every right to judge us, but instead was judged on our behalf on a Roman cross. Jesus had the right to condemn us, but was condemned on our behalf. Jesus had the right to punish those that hurt him, and yet he forgives them at the hour of his death. And at the very last moment of his life, he gave the ultimate gift of his own spirit to a wayward people. How do we transverse the minefield of judgment? We fix our eyes on God alone. For he is the one judge. And therefore we can live with radical good measure to our fellow man. We choose our teachers wisely and we hold fast to the words of scripture. We let God's word evaluate us and transform us, not for the sake of ourselves alone, but for the sake of our brothers and sisters. And we never forget, we never forget as seen through Jesus, that mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. We need your spirit, Lord, to transform our hearts, to know how to navigate this minefield. And as we're transformed, we realize what we really need is you. Sanctify us by your word, Grow us into Christ-likeness that we might be a witness and source of hope to the world. Amen.